0: Thank you, Alex, for leading us thus far in our time of worship. We're going to continue worshipping the Lord by opening the scriptures together and by the Spirit of God learning more about our Saviour and his instruction to us. And this morning we're going to be looking further at our series of the Ten Commandments and this morning we'll be looking at the Fourth Commandment. And if you want to kind of divide it up, after this morning, God willing, we will have done with the first table. And um, in a month's time, God willing, also, when I'll be back, we'll be picking up with the second table. For those who don't know, my wife and I are taking a month's break. And so uh, I will be unavailable. If you want to make phone calls, we have some excellent elders. We've got Steve, we've got Peter, we've got Bill here. And so please um, communicate with them so it's let's just open the scriptures. or I'm going to be putting them up on the screen for you. Um, what well, I thought it was. There we are. I hope you can read that. Um, it, I can read it on that little screen in the back, so you can, should be able to read it on the big screen in the front, right? And it goes like this. And this starts in verse 8 of chapter 20 of Exodus. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner, who was within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. You know, of all the commandments, this is the longest one. Actually, it takes four verses. But also it's the most controversial of all. And on top of that, this is the only commandment of the ten that is not quoted in the New Testament. Did you realize that? All the others are quoted per se. It's made reference to, but not quoted. But as we this morning read this commandment, we cannot help, I'm sure, ask the question, what does observing the Sabbath day mean, especially to us here today? You know, we may know a little bit about what it meant and looked like for Israel of old. But we seem to have this disconnect about what it means for us as believers in Jesus Christ today, right? To many, the idea of obeying this commandment and following its specific instruction, it really cuts across our independent freewheeling spirit if you like hence we are inclined to ignore even the principles that this commandment I believe has for us and so what happens for many is that we tend to operate on the basis of our time belongs to us okay my time is my time and uh we follow that rule rather than even considering this commandment. But this commandment makes the point, it makes the principle, can I say, in a very dramatic, practical and functional way. And what it says is that every moment of our time belongs to the Lord. You get that? That's the one main principle that this command teaches us. In other words, God regulates our week and insists that we pay full respect to this basic idea that we see in this fourth commandment. God is in charge, folks, and we are not. We may not like that, but that's what it says. That's the idea. We also have this clearly stated in the New Testament where Jesus says in Matthew and Mark and Luke's Gospels, the Son of Man, you will remember this, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Remember that equation? In other words, the Lord, he is Lord of my life. Hence, we can carry that on as we think of other scriptures. Personally, we can say, well, that means I am not my own because I have been bought with a price, right? First Corinthians chapter 6. And because of that, this fourth commandment, what it is and houses for us is is a way for God's people to express this fundamental commitment toward God and our time and to who he is and who we are. You see, when we set apart the Lord's Day as we know it for rest and for worship, what we are saying is God is in charge. And he gets to order my days. That's a good commitment, right? That's a faithful commitment. But on another tack, this commandment is also controversial because of the debate that we have turned this into because of its interpretive differences. And you will know what I'm talking about when I say that there are some who argue that the Sabbath is always and has always been Saturday, and so we should make Saturday our day for the Lord. You will know people like that. Church down the road, we pass it every morning when I come up to the office here every day. Seven-day Adventism. They would hold this. But not only that, we, uh, we have Messianic Jews who trust in the Messiah who are already stuck on this and hold that Sabbath is the day to worship. And also, we have, uh, Sabbatarian Baptists. I know of a group of men in this city that have once used to worship like we are on a Sunday, but have turned away and, and have gone and worship on Saturday. And including the dietary laws and including a number of other things as well because you take one step to be consistent. You've got to go the whole step, right? And, And so you have those folks. And then also you have that others who would say Sunday is the Christian equivalent to the Old Testament Sabbath. And they would just stop right there. And then, of course, you'll have those who say that the Sabbath requirements have been abolished by the death and resurrection of Christ, so therefore we're no longer under the Sabbath law's demands. Now, I could spend all this session and a few others, on focusing on this age-old debate and still going on at present. But I want this to be spiritually profitable. So what I want to do is to have a look at four principles that I believe... Are found in this commandment, okay? You got that? The principles that are found in this commandment. Uh, the reason being, readers often miss the principles or the main lessons this commandment is teaching because they are so focused on the specifics. We can easily get like that, right? In other words, the old adage that says that people tend to lose sight of the forest because they have this fixation on specific trees. And that's what happens. So we're going to be looking at four principles. And then for further clarification, I'm going to have a Q&A at the end. Don't worry. I'll be asking the question and then giving you the answers. Okay. We're going to have a Q&A just to um, add a little bit more clarity to how this fourth commandment affects us today. But firstly, we're going to have a look at the first commandment. And it's understanding the principles of this commandment. And principle number one is this commandment tells us for most of the week we should be involved in work. You got that? As I suggested, we can easily miss this principle owing to our fascination with the negative prohibitions. He talked to people on the street. Even some Christians said he talked about the Ten Commandments. All they can say is, "Oh, Thou shalt not, Thou shalt not, Thou shalt not." They're fixated on the negative prohibitions. But here we see in black and white is a positive statement. Now I hope you think this is positive, okay? I hope you think this is positive because the Lord says, six days you shall labour and do all your work." Believe it or not, that's a positive statement. Simply put, the Lord expects us to work, folks. Working is a part of God's creational mandate. It always was. And it's His will for our lives to work. So because of that, there is God-ordained dignity in your labour, no matter what it is, whether it's cleaning drains or some higher actual office work. There is dignity in it whether it be menial or skilled. You see even before the fall, even before Adam sinned, when sin entered the lives of Adam and Eve in the garden, God gave before that sin happened, God gave this couple the task of working, tending the garden, very skilled. Very skilled. Great work. I love tending the garden. I was out there pruning roses yesterday and I say I've got to do this because when I go away, the roses are going to be crazy, they're going to be ending their lifetime too quickly, so I've got to really deadhead them big time. Tending the garden. Yes, we have to agree and we do know from scripture that our work or work itself became more tedious because of sin. But work in and of itself is not a result of sin. Work is always God's way and design for us to be involved in life. You got that? That's what God's design is, so that we can be involved in life. It's our opportunity to be productive and contribute to the good of humanity. We heard from Phil this morning how that we're to love others without any conditions. And so God's mandate for work is so that we can be productive in being a benefit to others. Now, if you want to look for a job, how about starting there? What does God want me to do? He wants me to work in an area where it's beneficial to others. Good place to start. You see, we cannot enjoy and appreciate any kind of Sabbath rest that God has designed If we're not involved in productive labour, no matter what it is. You got that? So the idea of people working the system or gaining a quick buck or heaps of wealth in order that they no longer need to work is foreign to scripture and should not be so among us. God has placed us here to serve him. By serving those around us. That's what it means to work. Even when we are retired, the older folks here, or when our capacity to work is not what it used to be, and believe you me, I'm getting there fast. Even when that happens, or even if finding employment, which is a common thing in our day and culture, if finding employment is difficult, You need to do what you need to do so that you can be engaged in some kind of beneficial, productive work. Whether it be volunteer work where you don't get paid, be it, but get involved. Because if you're not involved in work, you're not involved in life. Work that helps others, encourages others, and supports others. No matter what our circumstances, there is a tremendous opportunity from the youngest to the oldest here in this congregation to be involved in work. Believe you me, there is. The idea of just sitting around at home and doing nothing is not and never was part of God's design for our lives. Now you may think that's tough because of have circumstances, but forget about your circumstances and just think about what the Word of God says here. using the title of John Piper's book that he wrote many years ago, which was one of my favourites. Don't waste your life. Let that be a call to obey the first principle of this command. Be engaged in some kind of productive work, otherwise you will be completely in breach of this fourth command. Second principle. This commandment tells us that we should set a time for rest, set aside time for rest right This principle really is a no brainer right i don 't have to extrapolate on it too much, but um, what it basically says is work most of the week and then rest now in this country, praise the Lord, we have laws and labor laws that protect and foster this kind of uh, kind of uh, ethos. can I say this work ethos? You go to many countries it 's Seven days a week, 20 hours a day, no laws actually protecting the worker. But in this country, praise the Lord for those kind of laws. Now, at the same time, this is not denying the troublesome fact that some feel that they have the legally given right to get paid for doing nothing. Which is sinful, by the way. And has dire consequences for them personally and also for the country. Because we've got to pick up the tax burden to pay for it, right? I'm speaking bluntly, but this is honest, right? And uh, to Christians here. So that is a troublesome fact. But at the same time, as we have those who... We call bludging, and I know, I know there are sometimes there are legitimate facts to be supported by the government, and praise the Lord for that, but uh, it, it's, it's not what we should be shooting for. We shouldn't be satisfied with anything like that. But at the, other, at the same time, at the other end of the spectrum, we have those who can be consumed with their work. And it's this end of the that God reminds us that people need rest. We need a break from our work. This is what it's telling us. We need a break from the work's stress and its routine. And work can be quite stressful, right Steve? And it can be routine, it can be mundane, and day in, day out. I know, I've been there. People need rest, God knows that. But without going into the reasons and the motive, that is, there is a sadly a, a growing trend where people become pridefully addicted and consumed by their jobs. Working 60, 70 and sometimes even more hours a week because that's what the job demands or, or more sadly, people become proud of that and we keep calling, and there's a good name for these people, they're workaholics. You would have heard of that, right? Workaholics. Folks, let me say this gently. When work consumes us to the point we are prideful of such long hours, we are really, as believers, confessing a problem with our priorities. Whether it be a business owner trying to stay competitive or a worker who needs to pay his large mortgage and or the rent and the living costs. When our work demands become so heavy that our excuse is cried out, we cannot afford to take time off. When that happens, we are breaching this fourth command. God designed the Sabbath day of rest to be just that, folks, a day of rest. A time of rest. We need to know as individuals, as fathers, as mothers, as people and families, as people in the church, we need to know when enough is enough and how and when I must stop and say, Hey, Now I know some of you have done that in recent days in this church. You've said enough is enough. I always remember, and this is still indelibly etched in my mind, As a kid, when my elder sister attempted to ride this Shetland pony that our grandfather gave her. Now, if you know anything about Shetland ponies, they're only small little beasts, but man, they can pack a punch, and they're pretty etchy at times. Anyway, she strided on this horse, and as you know, Shetlands can run, and this thing bolted. And there was my elder sister, I can just see her even to this day, hanging on for deal life. But she had another problem. She didn't know how to stop the thing. And as a result, she suffered a terrible fall, nothing broken but major bruises and pride and all that sort of thing. Folks, life without adequate rest is like riding a bolting horse that you don't know how to stop. You will suffer, your family will suffer, the church will suffer, all because we don't take God seriously and heed this fourth command. We need a day of rest for God's glory. We need this for our health and well-being. We need a time, a period of rest every week. God took this very ser- seriously, you know, in, how, in regards to how Israel responded to this commandment. You only have to go to Exodus chapter 31 and there you will see some of the requirements and the penalties that he promised to meter out against those who didn't stop. Very serious. Let's put the question on ourselves. How serious do you consider this principle of the fourth command? You know, when we're young, many years ago in my life, we tend to push, push, push in order to achieve our goals and meet our commitments right. And that's a good thing, you know. I always believe you've got to make hay when the sun signs. And when you've got young and when you are energy, you need to go all out. That should be your most productive time in, in the field of work. And there's nothing wrong with that. As long as we order our days as God has designed. You got that? Even in this pastoral role. I know the danger of pushing to be productive and even faithful, but do and even in doing that, I can neglect the rest that God designed me for me for his glory. If we neglect to take up the Sabbath rest principle, folks, that is a sin, and will only be to our peril spiritually and physically. Thirdly, this commandment tells us that We're to make time for worship. Now it's here we get a little closer to answering some of those relative to us kind of questions. Because in this commandment we see also how the Sabbath day is designed to remind us of our needful spiritual orientation. Very important. You know, once a week the children of Israel and the followers of the Saviour today, might I say, are, are to stop and focus their hearts and minds on their God they had to make time for worship this was not merely about taking a day off from a busy work schedule and putting our feet up on the couch and, and, uh, and just laxing or whatever this is not just about that no the Sabbath rest was also a time that was to be wholly set apart by God we have that in our text and also God ordained that it was to be set apart by his people so God took it seriously and he expected his people to take it seriously God set it apart and his people are to set it apart. Make time for worship. In our text, we're told of one reason why this was to be a holy day. was well, so that they could remember the God of their, as a creator. I think John mentioned God as a creator in his thanksgiving this morning. And we have this in our text. God is their creator because of the of the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But He rested on the seventh day. So that's what God did. And so that was to keep the Sabbath and following His example, and to remember Him and and know Him and acknowledge Him and appreciate Him as the Creator God. But when you go over to Deuteronomy chapter five, where we have the Ten Commandments repeated, plus extrapolated further on, more detail given. We have another reason there why the Sabbath was to be kept by Israel. And Israel was to remember not only their creator God, but also to remember their deliverer. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy 5 and um, and verse 15. It says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So they were to take time out to remember their bondage and their salvation and their deliverer, their God and Saviour, right? You got that? In other words, folks, the principle is clear. Every week, God's people are to come back home, as it were. We're together, they can center, and we can center our lives. We're to behold our God. We're to behold his grace, as we've already done in song and meditation this morning. We're to, uh, to behold the salvation that he has given to us. We're to come and take time out to reorientate ourselves to these wonderful truths of God and his grace. Weekly worship is something we do because we need it, folks, right? We really do. We need it. We need to take time to encourage one another. We need, to, we need this time to be taught in the word, with God's word again. We need this time to be reminded that, that this world is not our home. We're only passing through. We need this time to, be, to celebrate God's goodness together. Why? Why? Because it is right to honour God with our time. Collectively. You see, folks, when we miss out on our weekly time of worship because of work overload or whatever else, we will begin to lose. This is what happens. We will begin to lose the value and importance of the very heartbeat of God's will for us. We will lose that. We will lose our center of spiritual gravity, can I say. We will become confused and disorientated and we will even become indifferent about the things of God and His Word and the preciousness of Christ. As we allow our priority toward the Lord and His people to be shifted and to become less important than it should be. That's what happens. In the fourth commandment, we have God commanding that we we honour Him by giving Him priority in our time. Simply put, One day out of seven is to be set aside for worship again. One day out of seven, we're to stop what we are doing and gather with the saints and worship and glorify Him and encourage others. You can go to the New Testament and there's stacks of truth about that. We schedule times for work. We schedule time for recreation. I've scheduled time for a month in New Zealand with my wife and family. We schedule time for holidays, for family outings, for activity, because they are important to us, right? And rightly so, they should be. But God also commands us that we put him on our schedule. He wants us to plan all those legitimate, good and healthy things around him. Never the other way around. He must be the center. I really struggle sometimes when someone confesses that they love the Lord and, and yet only give times to worship the Lord on the Lord's day if nothing else is on their schedule. That's really sad. That is really, really sad. Let me take some pastoral liberty here, if I may. This may cut a little, okay? I say it with grace. I say it to my own self. What kinds of activities come before your worship of the Lord corporately here on Sunday? A little bit more close to home. What other priorities have caused you to miss worship here over the past six months, say? Your answers will indicate what you value more than the Lord. Hebrews 10.25, well-known verse, Forsake not our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, folks, God provides in this fourth commandment the opportunity to worship Him undisturbed by personal business or pleasure. I love the Lord's Day. I know you do too. I hang out for this day. We should welcome it as, as the highlight of the week. Is that how you consider it? You see, worship gives us the chance and the opportunity to recenter our lives after a week of labor in the world. And when we, out of preference schedule other things that interfere with our worship on the Lord's day we ignore this principle in the fourth commandment don't do that don't do that fourth principle is where this commandment points out the the ultimate sabbath rest which is by grace and not by works and we see this particularly mentioned in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 to 13 And this all-important truth is embedded in this commandment, and it's often overlooked, sadly. In Hebrews 4, we're told that that the true Sabbath rest comes through Jesus Christ. In other words, the ultimate Sabbath rest is when we come to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So in other words, the Sabbath rest of the Old Testament under the Old Covenant pointed forward and was a picture of something greater and better, which is the book of Hebrews is all about. Something better, right? It pointed forward to something better. And even in regards to our rest, it pointed to a spiritual rest that we have in Jesus Christ, which is ultimate rest, right? I hope you're all resting in Jesus Christ as we've sung and his righteousness. And someone prayed here at the communion table that we're clothed in his robes of righteousness. I hope you're resting on that and not on works. I hope so. Because we can only know this true ultimate rest by knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. So what we have in the Old Testament law regarding the Sabbath rest is a temporary picture of an eternal reality. In other words, we enter the true eternal Sabbath rest when we stop trying to earn salvation and put our hope and confidence and trust in what Christ has done for us. There it is, simple. That's the gospel. And Paul tells us this in Colossians two sixteen and 17. I love these two verses. And there he's telling the Colossian believers, and he tells us today, he says this, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regards to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. You hear that? These are the shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. End quote. Chapter, that's verse 16 and 17 of Colossians chapter 2. He mentions Sabbath day there. That's great news, right? No one can judge us, no one can say, oh well you're not a Christian, you're not a believer in God because you don't eat the right food, you don't drink the right um, drink uh, and you don't keep the right festivals and you don't keep this festival and that festival and you don't set aside time for new moons etc and you don't keep the Sabbath day. Paul contends here that the Old Testament Sabbath was ultimately pointing us to Christ, who is a true and ultimate rest and peace. The writer of the Hebrews clarifies this further in, in verse 10 of chapter 4. And he says, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Okay? Remember? God created the, 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 the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested after his work. And so what the writer of the Hebrews is saying here is, just as God rested after his work at creation of the world, we also now rest in God because his work of establishing a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17, it's all done, it's finished. That's where his son Jesus Christ died on the cross, and he established a new covenant. All things are past and the new has come. That's what we rest in, right? This is what the old Sabbath and all its other ceremonial laws pointed to. This means that we do not have to work and try to get God's eternal rest. We are just called. You know what we're called to do? We're called to enjoy the Sabbath rest in Christ. This commandment clearly points to the ultimate rest the believer has in Christ which comes not by works, but by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. There it is. I love the rest in him. No more condemnation. At peace with God, reconciled him for eternity. Some of us were reading on Thursday night that we are in the hollow of the Lord Jesus' hand, and no man shall pluck them out of my hand. And then to reinforce our security and our rest and our total assurance, Also in the Father's hand, and no one can take them from His hand. Can't get better rest than that, right? Resting one day a week for the beneficial purposes is one thing. But more importantly, we need to know we have salvation rest in God. Amen. I trust you all have here this morning. And you know of that salvation rest. Now, before we close, I did say that I was going to have a Q&A, and I'm going to start this here, just in closing. It won't take too long. And primarily, I'm just going to ask one question, because I feel this hits the real heartbeat of what a question uh, that we would all ask. And no doubt, you'll come across people yourself who will also debate this. I was just looking at a massive folder that was given to me. It was dropped actually just at our door a few months back. And um, it was all about how believers should specifically keep the Sabbath, it's a Saturday, as a holy day. And uh, basically, if you don't keep Saturday as a holy day and worship the Lord on a Saturday, um, you're not a Christian. You're disobeying the commandment. But anyway, um, the question I'm going to ask is. Are the Sabbath day laws binding on us today or not? That's a good question, right? The short answer is no, they're not. And the reason is, one of the reasons is, and I think it's a very important reason and you do understand this, I was mentioning it in our survey class this morning. First of all, this is not part of God's moral law. It's part of his ceremonial law that was given to Israel. Now, you must understand the difference between moral law and ceremonial law. The moral law is that which has everything to do about the nature and heart of God. For instance, thou shalt not kill. Why? Because God is a giver of life and it goes against the nature of God for for another person to kill someone else. And thou shalt not commit adultery, it says further down, because that just breaches everything that God is about. Thou shalt not steal. These are all part of the moral law of God. Now, when it comes to the type of clothes you're to wear, or the type of festivals you are to keep, remember, we looked at Colossians, and and the Jews kept festivals for the for. New moons and and they were only allowed to eat special foods on uh, whenever and um, they weren't allowed to eat uh, fish without any scales uh, and they weren't allowed to eat go down to the Odinga and pick up cockles and eat them no no because they never any there, there was a whole lot of restrictions all those and the Sabbath law included was part of God's ceremonial law you got that not of His moral law. And so all these ceremonial laws prefigured something better to come, and that was Jesus Christ. And so why do we hold this view? Well, we hold this view for a number of reasons. These ceremonial laws were shadows, including their Sabbath day laws. 2 Corinthians, as I said, uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, therefore I no longer bind them because... The Sabbath rest is only obtained through faith in Jesus Christ. And so there's there's one, that's a ceremonial law. and, And that's not binding on us because of the ultimate rest in Christ. Also, the Sabbath was assigned to Israel of the Mosaic Covenant, Okay, we have this in Exodus 31, verse 16 to 17. We have it in Ezra 20 and 12 and Nehemiah nine, fourteen. You can look up those passages. In other words, what this is telling us, since we're now under the new covenant dimension, you can have a look in Hebrews 8 about the new covenant, we are no longer to observe the ceremonial sign of the Mosaic covenant. In other words, we are under grace now and not under the law that Moses ushered in, that only pointed towards Christ. Here's a real simple reason. The New Testament never commands Christians to observe the Sabbath. You know that? Now, if this was so all-important, why doesn't it command us? Well, it doesn't. And fourthly, the only glimpse of the early church uh, has of worshipping in the New Testament is on the first day of the week. Now, that's got to be our example to follow, right? It had in Acts 20 and verse 7. The only glimpse of the New Testament church worshipping was on the first day of the week. You'll also remember how the apostles met at Jerusalem Council. Because, you know, all of a sudden there were Gentile believers coming to faith and and, and believing in Jesus Christ. And, and, and up until then, it had been primarily a, a Jewish thing where, where people who were Jews, like the Apostle Paul, had turned, and the Apostle Peter had turned from the Old Covenant and appreciated and valued the New Covenant in Jesus Christ. And so, but. When Gentiles came who never had any of the foundation material as far as the Jews were concerned, what are we to do to them? What are they allowed to do and not to do? How, How can we teach them? Because don't forget, even in early Acts, they never had the full canon of scripture like we. They only had primarily the Old Testament scripture. And so what are we to exhort them that they can do and not do? And so you know the story in Acts 15, a letter was written, and, um, and dare I say, if the Sabbath was to be kept, why was it not part of the instruction that was imposed upon Gentiles? It wasn't. It wasn't. So a good argument for worshipping the Lord on the first day of the week and not on the Sabbath. And also, the Apostle Paul warned the Gentiles about many different sins in his epistles, and you just think about the epistles and all the sins that come up that the Apostle Paul commanded and warned believers against. But breaking the Old Testament Sabbath was never, ever one of them. And then again, a little bit further outside biblical uh, Biblical history, we also have the early church fathers. We have men like Ignatius, right up to Augustine. Um, They all taught that the Old Testament Sabbath had been abolished and the first day of the week, Sunday, was the day when Christians should meet for worship. You know, folks, we are in good, solid company, right? They followed the early church example as in the Acts. Now, let me end with this. Sunday has not replaced Saturday as a Sabbath, okay? It hasn't been just a flick over. It hasn't replaced it, can we say? Rather, the Lord's Day is a time when believers gather to commemorate his resurrection, which occurred, by the way, very importantly, on the first day of the week. Now, that's a good reason to worship him and gather together, right? The New Covenant as we mentioned before, has been ushered in and it's been ratified by the death of Jesus Christ and because he arose and that we shall rise with him, that, folks, is first day a week worship material. Amen? It is true that every believer, every day, at every day the believers, to the believer is one of Sabbath rest, can we say. You know, we have ceased from our spiritual labor, as I was talking about before, and we're now resting in the salvation of the Lord by grace through faith. We have that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 to 11. But as we still follow the basic principles set out by the Old Testament Sabbath, the Lord's Day is now the designated one day of the week for the Lord's people to gather and worship. And we do not, by the way, refer this as a Sabbath. We don't refer that as a Sabbath. This is the Lord's Day. Call it what it is. Remember the Apostle John? Steve mentioned, or he didn't make too much of a mention of it, because it's a subject in itself, but specifically, it's in the definitive there, that when the Apostle John, on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, he makes specific mention of the Lord's Day. So as Israel of old commemorated creation and deliverance from Egypt in its Sabbath keeping, we as Christians today commemorate the new creation and redemption of Jesus Christ on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. What a joy and a privilege it is to gather under the Lord on this first day of the week. I hope it is. It should be. If it isn't, there's something drastically wrong with your heart toward God I do trust that this has been of some help and, and, and this Lord's Day every Lord's Day will, will take on a deeper meaning and that all of us will respond accordingly with love loyalty and commitment to worship him how? to worship him together in spirit and in truth Shall we pray? Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do give thanks for this, another Lord's Day. Father, we have remembered you this morning around this table. We have remembered the Lord Jesus and all that he's done for us. But we know that this is only a temporary commemoration A temporary celebration, can we say? Because one day what we do here by faith and how we gather here by faith will give place to sight. We won't have to meet on the first day of the week for Father, we will be with you and as we have sung, we will see the Lord Jesus face to face and forever to be with the Lord. In the meantime, Father, help us to understand the seriousness of gathering with the saints and giving the Lord time and making him the center and priority of our lives. We pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.